Thank you so much, everyone. Wasn't expecting that. Now fairly choked. Stirred about Cairo. 20 million people stirred with your love. Stirred that we're doing, talking about this here in the context of being family, in the context of being a body. Breaking technology as I do it. I hope these boxes aren't expensive because I'm going to stand on them. And now I've got to preach. That was, goodness, why do we put the timetable together that way? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your body, your family, the bride. What a privilege for us to be here. There's nothing, Jesus, like the church, as we've said already, when it's working well. And Lord, we're doing our best to try and do what we can to make it work well. But thank you, Jesus. You are the one who has given his life so that this will work well. I pray for each of us now, Lord God, as we turn to your word, as we move off, Heather and I being on the the spotlight for this next bit. Lord, put the spotlight on each of us now. Lord, let your truth come to us afresh. Lord, it's such a privilege to better come away like this and have a weekend together with all the different activities and fun that we've had and some of us late nights and children never sleeping in a new bed and all of that. But I pray for your refreshing power to come to us now. Pray for strength, Lord. I pray for there to be incredible revelation. Lord, I can't do that bit. And uh, I pray you'd help me. The truth that's in this passage is stunning. Speak to us, Jesus. Speak to us for the sake of Birmingham. Speak to us for the sake of Beirut, Cairo. Speak to us, Lord, for Pakistan. Speak to us, Lord, for all the nations, places represented in this room. Speak to us, Lord, for those who live in the villages and towns around Birmingham. Bless that family, Lord. Middle of saying, speak to us for the nations. Speak to us for children, too. Work, Jesus. Amen. Um, Someone tell me the finish time. Five minutes, thank you. Uh, that's generous the, the, the thing I loved was that Jonathan made eye contact shrugged his shoulders so that's it, I've got permission this is a privilege an honour, Jonathan thank you for sending up but I get to preach this session off the back of what Jonathan has uh, brought to us and what Rich has brought to us, I feel I'm, the way the, the passage works and the way that we've put this, this program together, is I get to now stand and build and apply even more the truths we heard from Rich and from Jonathan, which is a real honor. Um, so we're going to go from the same passage. If we could just put that up on the screen, that first slide from Ephesians 1. Come to it in a minute. I'm not going to read it all, but this is the passage. Let me just set the scene to remind us. Paul had started this church, a church is, in Ephesus. You can read about that in Acts 19. It was a huge city for its time. Some Bible scholars will say it was as many as 500,000, but numbers could go from 250 to 500,000. So a huge city. Commerce, it was a port, trade coming, peoples coming and going. In the center of the city was a huge statue to the fertility goddess, Diana. Um, And if you really wanted to worship her, you'd sleep with the temple prostitutes. So there's a whole industry going around uh, worshiping a sex goddess, in effect. Um, Then the Roman Empire uh, was there. So there's oppression, there's taxes. and, And Paul has gone in with a message of there's another king. 
There's a true king, and his name is Jesus. And then Paul is writing back to encourage and strengthen the church in who they are, what Jesus has done for them, and the truths that we've already heard this weekend. Um, And in part, I wonder if Paul was wanting to answer these questions. If Jesus is Lord, what does this mean for our city? If Jesus is Lord and there's another goddess down there, which everyone is worshipping and making money of and some pretty horrible things are going on, if Jesus is Lord, what about this goddess? What about all these things that are going on? What does it mean? Because for the New Testament, and it should be the case for us today, it wasn't simply Jesus is Lord and we'll get to see him in heaven. It's Jesus is Lord, then what about my job If Jesus is Lord, how do I see that working out in my city? If Jesus is Lord, what about all these injustices? How can Jesus be Lord, but only get to see it when I get to be with him in heaven? They didn't kind of separate it off in a way that we did. If Jesus is Lord, then that makes a difference politically, commercially, economically, in my life, in my family, and what's happening in the city. So part of why Paul is writing this is to say Jesus is Lord and here's what it looks like. And we're going to see that in this passage. One of their questions could have been, if we're his people and he really does love us, because Paul writes about that, that prayer was read at the prayer meeting this morning, that we'd know how wide and depth and the breadth of his love for us. What's his plan for us? Christians, followers of Jesus, were being persecuted. Paul himself is in prison. Hang on, if Jesus is Lord and he loves us, then why is all this stuff going on? And what's his plan for us? That's part of why Paul is writing this. As well as wanting to instruct them about the church and how the church should function and how we should live, he's also answering these questions. Which takes us very quickly to the part that I get to teach. If we can put verse 10 up, the next slide, which just highlighted. So Paul uses these phrases, having talked about unity, having talked about being a body and the diversity, then and the gifts that he's given to the church who are given by Jesus. And then he says this, he who descended came down to death itself, buried in the earth, is the very one who ascended. God lifted him up in the ascension, bless you, ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. That's the bit I'm going to get to talk about. What does that mean? Paul is saying Jesus has given to the body gifts, apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers, in order to build the church, to make it mature. And the one who gave these gifts is the one who descended, he died, and he then, God raised him, and didn't just raise him to life and on the earth, but raised him high. The disciples saw him. You can read about that in the Gospels. Go through the clouds. And Paul says he's gone to the highest place and he's going to fill the whole universe. And then at the end of that passage, he then talks about the fullness, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Christ filling the universe and then us growing up in the whole fullness of Jesus. There's a lot of fullness going on in this passage. Christ filling the universe, the church, us reaching maturity, So we're full of Christ. Christ fills the universe, Christ fills the church. That's what maturity looks like. Paul has already talked about this in Ephesians 1, if we can put that slide up, where he prays this incredible prayer that the eyes of our heart will be opened. We know the power of God that raised Christ to life. That power is now working in us. 
This is Paul interceding for them. He wants us to know it. It's my prayer. It's our prayer for us this morning. But we know that this power that raised Christ is a power that's working in us. And he raised him, placing all things at the end of the passage, verse 22, all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for us. And worshippers and followers of Jesus everywhere. Christ is ascended over all the powers for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So you've got Christ filling the universe, Christ filling the church, and the, and the church filling everything. It's a lot of fullness. Is it Christ filling all things? Is it the church filling all things? Is it the church filled with Christ? It's all three. Christ filling all things, filling the church, the church filling all things. That's what we're going to talk about. What does that mean? What does it look like for the church to fill all things? What does it look like for Christ to fill all things? So let's get into this. Firstly, notice that Paul calls Jesus Christ. It's important. Christ isn't Jesus' second name. It's a title. It's not, just, it's not his family name. It's a title. It means anointed one connected with Messiah, the one who's come to save. It means Jesus was the anointed one from God. And the Old Testament promised that an anointed one, a Christ, would come. King David in the Old Testament was anointed to be king. Later, he's given a promise that another anointed one would come and be king. So this is talking about Jesus, the king. That's how you could read it. The Christ, the Messiah, the rescuer, who is the king. And it's his rule, and it's his reign over all things now. And when you begin to understand that's why Paul is using the word Christ, it helps us understand the passage a bit more. It's not literally about a human person called Jesus somehow filling everywhere, and everywhere you go you see him, although you do because it's the church, but we're rushing ahead. It's about Christ's kingship, anointed rule over all things. He has ascended and right now is ruling over everything. There's no authority, no name, no ideology, no other religion, no business, no politician, no dictator, no spiritual power who is higher than Jesus. They can't get close. Jesus is over all of them. Thank you for the amen. I need some more. Not because I want them. In preparing this, I had to worship every now and again because it's a stunning passage, but you need the amens. We're going home later. Make the most of this feast from Paul that's set before us. Nothing, they're not, they're not high, they're not contesting for Jesus. The fight has been won. Jesus has defeated death. That's what the ascension is about. He's the one who's defeated death. He's coming now to rule over all things. So he's doing it now. But that rule, that reign, needs to be seen everywhere. Because we don't see it everywhere at the moment. We know that. There's still injustice and oppression, sin and wickedness. Our new news is filled with it. And then if we look closer to home and look in our lives, we think, well, I don't see as much as Christ's rule always, as much as I want to. So he is ruling and reigning as a king over all the authorities and powers. But that rule and reign, the Christ rule, king, will fill all things. That's what Paul means. And in saying Christ, the Old Testament prophecies, and in the way that he lived, we see that he's the one who was just. 
He's the one that was righteous. So if Christ's rule is going to fill all things, that means instead of wickedness, we'll see justice. Instead of oppression, we'll see liberty in the name of Christ. Instead of wickedness, we'll see goodness and righteousness. That's what's going to fill all things. That's what Paul is saying. If he says Jesus is going to fill all things, you could still get there as you think about Jesus and what he did. But actually in saying Christ, the anointed, righteous, justice king, is going to fill all things. You see, we know all this because this has been promised earlier in the story. Jesus fulfills what the Old Testament prophets said would happen. This verse from Isaiah chapter 9. We know this one, often read at our carol services at Christmas. The greatness of his government. It's talking about a son will be given, Jesus. The greatness of his government and and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. Paul is saying, this is it. It's going to happen. Isaiah... And other prophets, they said this, and it's Jesus, and there's still more that's going to come. He's come, he's defeated death, he's now ascended over everything, and he's ruling. But that rule, righteousness, justice, goodness, is going to fill all things. It's going to fill the earth. There will be righteousness and justice everywhere. This session's called multiplication. First multiplication, justice righteousness because Jesus is king and nothing stops his rule and his reign think for a moment all things I looked in countless commentaries and all means you've read them as well your office your sales team your classroom your hospital ward your school your college your uni Cairo, Egypt, Pakistan, Libya, Britain, what's left of it, in or out of Europe. All things are going to be filled with justice and righteousness. Oh yeah, right now there's still wickedness. Right now there's still corruption. Right now there's still oppression. Right now there's still confusion around sexuality and everything else. Right now, there's a greed and materialism. Right now, there's a rampant individualism in the West that puts me first, no matter what. But righteousness and justice is coming. And his name is Jesus, and he's a king. And his name is above all things. And nothing's going to stop his rule and his reign coming to fill all the earth. All business, all politics, all other faiths, every single place. There will not be a place where you can look, you won't be able to turn on over a rock and think, oh look, there's some wickedness there. No, even in that place, in the hidden places and the dark places and in towns and villages and remote places, up mountain sides in Yemen. Oh, pray for Yemen and the horror that's going on there. Even in Yemen, even there, justice and righteousness is coming. That's what Paul wants the church to know. That's what Jesus has won. Come on, we need some more clapping, please. This is your place. This is your city. This is where you live. This is where your family. I don't know the timing. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but it, I know it's coming. And we'll look at some of that in a moment. But firstly, let Paul land his point in our hearts. This is what it means to be followers of Jesus, that righteousness, truth, 
and justice is going to fill the earth and fill all things in places where we do not see it. A multiplication of his will, of his rule, and his reign. And Paul wants the church to understand it, mainly because it's going to happen through the church. That's what Paul wants them to understand. We get to know the end of the story. This is brilliant. Like if you're watching a film and it's tense and everything goes wrong, and if it's a chick flick, whatever that is, and you think, oh, they're going to fall back in love and he's been horrible to her and will they come back? Oh, can I just fast forward to get to the end? Or if it's Bruce Willis saving the world for, I don't know how many times he's going to save the world, um, but if he's going to save the world and you see him get shot and he falls out the helicopter, you think, oh, is it all over? I need this Bruce survive. Of course he survives. He's got to make another 10 films, all the same plot. <laughs> Forgive my cynicism. <laughs> we get to know the end. Let that bring hope to you this morning. No matter what you're living in, no matter what's happening, Jesus has already decided righteousness and justice is your destiny, is where you're heading, because it's where the world is heading, because he's what he's won the world for. Not simply that we get to be with him and sing worship songs forever and ever, but there's real righteousness and justice and oppression is broken and captives really are set free. And the lies of the enemy and death and sickness does not get to reign. We know the end of the story. That's why we worship. That's why there should be joy in the room. That's why we celebrate one provocation for us. The church really should be the most joyful place in the city. Because we know the end. It needs to be the most compassionate place in the city. Because we get to take the love and mercy of Jesus to places where there is injustice and oppression, violence and sickness. But we do that with joy. That's what Paul wants the church in Ephesus to know. We're worshipping a big idol down the road. Hey, Jesus is coming. Righteousness and justice is going to fill it, even that place. But there's something else here that is being fulfilled if we go right the way back to the beginning of the story. And I, I want to go there simply because it gives us a richness and the depth of what God is doing in Christ. At the beginning of the story, Adam and Eve, God makes them in his image, different from all of creation, with an ability to love, care, cherish, nurture, and to, this is important, choose to do so, to have the free will to do so, because love demands that there's choice. Sadly, they choose not to do this. But it's like God had made a covenant. It's like God had designed something. I want people fulfilling my will, which is righteousness and justice and peace and goodness. And these people haven't. But I don't want to violate that that's what I've done. I still want to rescue this creation project. I still want to make this work with people. So he sends his son, a son of Adam, a man. And he's the one that finally fulfills what it means to live made in God's image. And the prophets talked about this. The prophets said one would come. We put their verse up from Daniel on that slide. There's many verses we could look at in Daniel. But he says he had a vision at night. Before me was one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days. That's God. He was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and a kingdom that will never be destroyed. God made Adam and Eve to rule and reign in righteousness and justice, but because of love he let them choose and they made the wrong choice. 
and the world was devastated and wickedness and evil came. But God covenanted, if you like, to say, no, there will still be one. I will still have one that is made in my image that will bring righteousness and justice. And his name is Jesus. And right the way back from the beginning of the story, we see that what Paul is writing about is this project, is this part of God's plan, this purpose. No, there is a man that will live in my image and bring righteousness and goodness. And Jesus is fulfilling that. But I mention it because it's important for our part and the part we get to play. So how does he fill all things? It's through the church. That's why Paul is both in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4, why these things seem to cross over. Jesus Christ filling all things, and the church filled with Christ, righteousness, justice, peace, love, and then the church fills all things. Why? Because God made us in his image, and he's rescuing us to be the very things he made us to be. Now, we can get excited, and some of you almost got excited, others of you were, but some almost got excited, at Jesus and his authority, rule and reign and justice filling the earth, this jump is going to be harder. Because he does it through you. This is the gospel. This is your destiny. This is what you've been saved for. This is your identity. To be those that bring righteousness, justice, mercy, love, compassion. It's everything that Rich was talking about. This is what I mean about me having the honor to build on what has already been said. This is what Paul is talking about. But to get this, <clears throat> we need to understand what we mean by the word church. Because we don't simply mean meetings or weekends away. It does mean that, coming together to celebrate him, to know his presence, to be equipped. But primarily, church is God's new society, God's new humanity, God's new community. So we're church gathered together, but we're also church scattered because the work of salvation is making new people with new heart and new lives. You see, Jesus hasn't come simply as another prophet or a teacher or another guru. Oh, you Christians, you have a guru who's called Jesus. Or you Christians, you have a prophet. We have prophets. You have one. You follow the prophet Jesus. No, he came, he's so much more than that. God's son. But coming to give life. He gave his life so that we could have new life. He rescued humanity from wickedness, not through laws or moral codes or teaching and saying, live this way and you'll be rescued. He came to give new life. He came so that our old life could be taken and we could have new life, his resurrection life. That's what Paul's talking about in his prayer in Ephesians 1. That power that raised Christ has now raised you to a new life. That's what he's come for. That's what he's come to give us. In Ephesians 2, we're not going to turn to it, Paul talks about how God has made a new humanity, a new creation, by bringing Israel, God's chosen people, those who believe in Jesus, together with the Gentiles, makes a new humanity. It's called the church. We're a new creation. Paul uses similar language to what Genesis uses. God's done something new, and it's you. And it's the person you're sitting next to. A new humanity, a new life is now on the earth. That's the church. That's what we are. Yes, we gather. Yes, we do this when we can. Yes, we have community and eat together and pray for one another. But that new life is in your 
university, colleges, hospitals, schools, raising your children. The new resurrected life. There are now image bearers, saved, rescued, made clean, image bearers, bearers of God, like he wanted in the garden, now all over Birmingham. And it's you. This is the amazing thing about God's plan. You kind of think, yeah, we'll have a hero, we'll name him Jesus, and we'll see him win in the end. But then the story takes a twist. Because Jesus says, no, I'm going to go and rule and reign over everything so that you can bring the ones that begin to show what justice and mercy and love looks like. Oh, what a church. Glory. And you think, well, are we there yet? What was Jonathan rather quickly, because there's so much, listed some of the things that we're doing. It's pretty good. We do it because of this. Because it's our call. We don't do it so we can fill up a directory of ministries and we can have an impressive website. We do it because it's the gospel life, what he's raised us for. And we don't have to be involved in a ministry to do this. As Rich was saying, right where you are, this is what he's saved you and rescued you for. This is how he fills the earth through all things. And guess what? The prophets talked about it. The slide of Ezekiel, if that can go up. Ezekiel 36. God told his people, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and your heart of flesh. Give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God said he'd do this. A new heart, new life, new power. And that's what Paul is writing about in Ephesians 1. And that's how Christ fills the church. It's his life in us. It's not your life. One of the lies the church has done really well at promoting is that the gospel is Jesus comes along to bless your existing life. Jesus comes along with love and mercy and improves your life. It's rubbish. Jesus hasn't come to improve your life. He's come to end your life. He wants you dead. The sin, selfish, wicked, lying, manipulative. And that's just me. Dead. So that his resurrection, his new humanity, his eternal life can pump into my heart and make it new and move me to follow him and love him and have mercy and compassion for others who are broken and lost. It's new life. Jesus hasn't come just to make your life better. He's come to totally transform your life. Jesus hasn't come to bless you and prosper you. He hasn't come to give new rules or new teaching or more codes. He's come to say, let me take that life from you and give you something new. That's the gospel. If you're here this weekend thinking, what, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What do Christians believe? Is this just a, a more relaxed way of, of celebrating God and worshipping and, and having fun together? And, and it's, it's nice. Then hear this today if you don't hear anything else. That's not what this is. Jesus came to do something that no other religious teacher, prophet, guru has ever done in the purposes of God, and the way God designed the universe and created everything. He came as God's son, fully man, fully God, which is a mystery, but that's okay, because if God is God, then he can have some mysteries, because he's greater than us. So in our rationalistic, scientific worldview, right, so explain that. What do you mean explain it? He's God. Sometimes we just say, I don't need it explaining, I just need to receive it. 
He sent Jesus, fully man, fully God, to give his life. That's why we were singing about the blood yesterday. To give his life so that you and I can have life. Real life. And peace and love and mercy. And then he says, now through my rule in your life, go into all the world. And so the world gets to be filled with justice and righteousness and peace. That's how this works. That's what he's doing. As we live lives that please God, people see his rule being worked out. Let's put this quote up. There is a missional element of the Spirit's work of transformation. A transformed life witnesses to others the reality of God's kingdom. God does not transform our character simply so that we can be drawn out of the world. Rich talked about that yesterday. Or let's step back. God's making me more holy. God is changing me. God's making me, uh, changing me and living in the way that Jonathan talked about. Unity, togetherness, love, honoring. So we'll just do that in our club. Now that's not what God does this for. God does this, transforms us as a demonstration of his power to others. God transforms our character so that we can follow Jesus into the darkest places on earth and serve as lights. That's how God's rule through Christ fills the earth. Is that we get to go with love, mercy and compassion. Not perfect yet. Oh yes, still waiting for Jesus to transform us fully. But with his new life in us, we get to go to parts of the city where it's really dark. Where there's brokenness. Too often the church has kind of modeled a conference gathering thing. If you want to be in, if you want to meet Jesus, we'll come to this meeting. That needs to change, and it needs to change quickly because our nation is getting darker and more children are getting raped and more drugs are being taken and greed is taking us over in a frightening and alarming way. We urgently need to realize that it's not come in and we'll introduce you to Jesus. It's go out and love people like Jesus does, and serve people like he does, and go to the scary places. In the West, there's a form of Christianity which is ever so comfortable and safe. Can I suggest to you that what you heard from the dean yesterday was normal for many people, followers of Jesus? And we need to get like that because we let Jesus take us to places where we feel incredibly uncomfortable because we're not sure what to say or what to do, but he'll teach us how to love, and he'll give us the words That's why he's transformed you. You're the demonstration of God's rule now, a changed life. The world hasn't got an explanation for that. A nice organization, a nice conference, a slick presentation, some good media. Hey, anyone can do that. Why does the church mimic the world? It's not our weapon to show that we can do anything as good as the world does. The way God's kingdom is seen is with a human humility-serving love from people who used to be broken themselves. That's how God's rule fills the earth. I've got to pick up the pace. One question we could have in all of this, I'll do with this quickly, is, well, if he's king, if he's ruling, if he's showing his rule through me, why does suffering still happen? Why does bad stuff still go on? Well, remember, Paul's writing this from prison. And in prison, Paul says, Jesus' rule is filling the earth. In prison... He says, and the church will fill the earth. Paul isn't phased by bad things happening. Paul can be set a captive and say, Jesus is going to set all captives free. 
Jesus isn't ruling in such a way to protect you from bad things happening. He's ruling in such a way that he will direct all things so those bad things don't win. That's a really important difference. And that even through the bad things, justice, righteousness, and peace will come. And that's part of our powerful testimony. The fact that Paul can sit in prison and say, no, righteousness and justice is going to come. Paul, wake up. You're in chains. What do you mean captives are going to be set free? Because he knows that's what Jesus is going to do. And that's what it means when he says he works all things out for good. Another shock. He doesn't work all things out for good so that you can feel better. He works all things out for good so that justice, righteousness, and peace will be seen to rule and reign. And in that, in that, then you'll find peace and love. And you'll find he's really, really close to you. So what does this look like? How can we see multiplication? Keep the countdown going, Rich. It's really helpful. Firstly, and I've referred to this already, let's be happy. Let's know joy. Because we know the end of the story. Because Jesus is ruling and righteousness is coming. Oh, yeah, we can cry. Yeah, there's still people die too soon and too young. There's still stuff that some of you are going through. It's really hard to understand where God is. So we can weep. But when we weep, we go to him, and he reminds us that justice righteousness and healing is coming, and then joy comes again. Fundamentally, how, does, how will his rule fill Birmingham, Cairo, this country? Live like Jesus. Really, really live like Jesus. Really do things that Jesus did. The church is his body, as Rich said. Let's go to the dark places. Let's show what love really looks like. Let's find some people who don't like us and eat with them. Let's find people who hate the church and say, hey, let's have a drink conversation. Let's find people that think they're so broken and they're so dirty. There's no way they're going to come in on Sunday morning because they don't think it's for them. And it's brilliant to see some of the diversity that we're growing into, but we're still too white and too middle class. And how are people going to know they're welcome? Because people still think in groups. They still think, mm, not sure I can go in there. Not sure it's for me. Think, oh, really? Yeah, you think like that. It's all kind of places, clubs, bars, places in the city, groups of people you don't go to because you think you don't fit. People look at the church like that. Let's get out a lot more and live like Jesus did. <sighs> this means sacrifice. It means laying our lives down for others. It's what Jesus did. It costs something. It's painful at times, but live like it. Just one quote just to show how we should be countercultural. If you could put this up. Our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we convert the buying and selling of goods into rituals, that we seek our spiritual satisfactions, our ego satisfactions in consumption. This is powerful. In other words, we're satisfied and feel we have meaning by buying things. The measure of social status, of social acceptance, of prestige, is now to be found in consumptive patterns, buying products, clothes, where we hang out, places we go, what labels we've got on, technology... I get a bit alarmed, and I'm trying to improve. I'm not doing terribly well at it, but just how many people in the church love new technology and got to have the latest products? It's killing the world. The very meaning and significance of our lives today express in consumptive terms. We need things consumed, burned up, worn out, replaced, and discarded at an ever-increasing pace. That's consumerism. The reason I'm quoting it is what's frightening about that. That was written in 1955. 
by an economist, not a Christian, by a retail expert. We need to live countercultural. And I'm including it here because I was doing a section on giving and living sacrificially. And one of the things that the consumerism has done in a church is turn the gospel into how I can be blessed and how I can be whole and how Jesus can satisfy me. And Jonathan alluded the other night to you know, all the needs that we have and, and how do we meet those and what is our unity made based on, hey, we get our needs met in Church Central. It's a really good place. No, it's not based on that. We need to move from a consumerist mindset. If we're going to see Christ's rule through the church, fill Birmingham into a giving sacrifice. And it's a challenge for us. We need to be the church everywhere, a new society, where we work, where we live, schools, moving the sites to churches, going for number four, going for number five. There's a pace to this. There's a timing in God, but we're going to keep going and keep running, and it's going to cost us, and it's going to cost money and prayer and energy, but it's in order that Jesus' rule can be seen. Let's not be comfortable, and let's not settle. I'm 55 this year, and I'm going to go to Cairo. And the reason I'm going is because Jesus said go, and because there's people there that don't know him. And I'm scared, and the language and everything else. And I'm not going to get to preach very often, and my role's going to change, and my identity's going to change. But then I remind myself, Jesus said die. Still a lot more dying if you want to see Jesus' rule come. And I know you do. I know this is landing on fertile ground. I just felt God wanted me to finish by stirring us up a little bit. And then we'll come back and pray a little bit later. The other night, final illustration, and I'm done. Some of you would have picked up at Glastonbury, which is where some of us would have rather been, that Friday night, <laughs> Friday night, Stormzy headlined. And he comes out with a knife vest with a Union Jack on it. And he talks about justice. And he talks about racism. And he shares some of his experiences. And he sings songs. And he gets different artists to come on. And people are lauding it, rightly so, as being a, a kind of a, a moment of change in our culture. Hopefully, that's what they want. As he talks about oppression and justice that he's experienced, and many experienced, and the loose to knife crime and everything else. And then he gets a gospel choir on. And they sing, You Saved Me. Half a million people at Glastonbury beamed all around the world. And he's talking to Jesus. We love moments like that. We want those big moments, don't we? Yeah, come on, Jesus, raise up people like that. Politicians, business people, etc., etc. Yeah, I agree. But the thing is, there'll be another Glastonbury. There'll be another set that will sadly disappear a little bit into the ether and be forgotten because I'm old enough to remember other moments that the church looked at and said, yes! But what if on Monday people met people that lived like that? What if on Monday they met people that used the same language, the same words, and sat with them and ate with them? What if during the week they found people who, because they were followers of Jesus, were living like this man on the stage that we all loved for a moment talked about? We need both. Don't misunderstand me. We need both. But what the world needs is you following Jesus, filled, your life transformed. Hope come to your heart, oppression broken, addictive thought patterns broken. Jesus has come to transform you. And he'll want to meet with you a bit later when we worship again. That's the message for you. For others of us, let's keep loving. Let's keep serving. Because that's how the rule and reign of Jesus fills the earth.
Let's keep planting churches. Let's keep sending. Let's keep giving our money. Let's keep interceding because Jesus' rule is going to fill the earth. Please stand. Clap Jesus. Applaud Jesus. His rule and his reign. Thank Jesus.